hi, and thanks for joining me for this episode of Understanding Business. This is utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station, and I'm your host, Peter Lamont. Today, I'm very excited to be bringing onto the show Grant Hosford. Grant Hosford. He is he the is CEO, CEO and co-founder of CodeSpark.org, and uh, it's really a, a cool concept. We're going to talk to him about this, but basically, this is a platform for kids to become educated about uh, software and, 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 and coding and development. And it's really, really kind of cool the way that it's approached in, in a game-like fashion. He's going to talk to us about that. He's also going to talk to us about some of the, the struggles that he's had, the things that he's learned as an entrepreneur, and, uh, and you know, what we can do in our own entrepreneurial journey to achieve success. So, Grant, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Peter, thanks for having me. Um, I'm very excited to be connecting with you and your audience. Uh, sounds like my kind of people. So I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. Now, you know, CodeSpark.org and, and the products that you're generating, it's really, really cool because the way I look at it, it's part education, part gaming. So from a business standpoint, it's like you've melded two types of businesses into one. So can you talk a little bit about what CodeSpark is and what you do? Yeah. So at our core, CodeSpark is a learning game company. We make global education platforms. Um, and the first platform that we've built teaches kids what we like to call the ABCs of computer science. So concepts like sequencing, loops, conditionals, things that are found in all programming languages. We focus on those concepts and we do it in a way that doesn't require any words. So kids in China can play like kids in the U.S., can play like kids in Italy. And more importantly, they can share what they make uh, with those kids. But it might be helpful for me to take a step back and talk about what inspired me to found the company. Absolutely. Okay. So... Two years ago, uh, my daughter, Naomi, who was uh, six at the time, took a Lego robotics course at her elementary school. And she got super excited about it, and she asked me to, to come check it out, and I did. And um, she was the only girl in the class, 24 out of 24 kids, um, and she was the youngest kid in the class, which was almost more surprising to me, uh, by two grades. And so... I started doing research to support her interest and found out that we didn't really have the concept of an ABCs of computer science and we weren't teaching computer science uh, to kids under the age of 12 in any meaningful way in the United States. And so the good news was when I did research on how young is too young for teaching these concepts, there's great um, studies out of MIT and Tufts that support the idea that you can teach kids as young as five the concepts that I mentioned earlier in the show, um, but you need to do a few things first. And in particular, you need to get what we call syntax or the way code is traditionally written and language out of the way. Those are two barriers that have nothing to do with the thought processes behind coding. So that was the beginning of the journey. And uh, then I just got very obsessed with this idea of teaching kids to code and um, began to prototype and after about six months of prototyping, I, I felt like I was ready to make something of this business. And so I went looking for a technical co-founder uh, and found the perfect person and a guy named Joe Shockett, 
who had worked at Disney for over 12 years and had been the lead designer and developer on properties like Toontown Online, a big successful online subscription game. Right. And in addition to building world-class kids' experiences, uh, Joe had actually worked on the very first version of a product called Alice 3D, which was an early visual coding tool for CS101 classes at the college level. And so he'd been thinking about you know, teaching young people to code for a long time. Uh, so when I approached him with my idea, a lot of things clicked, and we started the business six weeks later. Well, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, why do we need computer science? I don't understand the necessity of it because my kid knows how to use a computer. But it's so much more than that because when kids are accessing computers today, they don't really even know the components, that the way it works. All they know is click here, drag and drop there. And that element of the um, more intellectual understanding is missing. And is that something that you found? Yeah, the, no, I think you're absolutely right, and you're onto something important, which is computer science now is really entwined with almost everything we do. And you know, I have three kids. Uh, I don't. I maybe one of them will end up being a programmer. <laughs> you know, Naomi, my middle daughter, she's the one who has the most natural interest and kind of most natural aptitude for programming. But what I want for all three of them is for them to look at technology as a tool that they can control and use no matter what their interests are. So if my daughter Samantha, you know, thinks she wants to grow up and be a pro soccer player, um, she can use technology to help her train better, right? Quantitated self and that sort of thing. If my son Ethan wants to be a musician, he can set up a killer light show, you know, to support uh, him and his band as they as they do a cool show at school. So I think it's more about just changing attitudes in terms of our relationship with technology. And, and you kind of alluded to it. You know, we have smartphones and tablets that are what used to be considered supercomputers 30 years ago. Right. Um, but we don't know a lot about what's going on inside. And the other thing is, because computer science is really you know, omnipresent in our life, um, it just makes sense to me that we would teach it the way we teach science, well, math and reading in particular, right? Where we break it down into small digestible chunks, we make it fun, and we let kids gain mastery over it over a decade or more instead of throwing kids into the deep end of the subject when they're 16, 17, 18 and watching most kids drown, right? It just it's, – it's too important to leave to chance and leave to kind of a last-minute cram session uh, late in high school or early in college. Right. And, you know, it's the equivalent of taking a kid that wants to be, um, you know, a, a look towards pro sports and have them start when they're 15 versus starting when they're three or four or a musician for that matter. Yeah. And the good news about learning computer science early, this is one of the things that encouraged me is, um, you know, it's basically about logical thinking. And so a you get a bunch of broad-based benefits. For example, I'll give you one of the most important ones. When kids become better at sequencing, so learning like how a story should be ordered and, and why it goes in that order, um, even if they learn it in a nonverbal environment, their reading comprehension scores go up. So it's really just about working out the brain in a different way that um, increases the number of tools in their logical thinking tool chest. Yeah, and, and logic is something that's so critical. I mean, that's something that you go through law school for. You know, I went through law school, and, and what you learn about the law is so minimal compared to 
what you learn as far as how to think and the logic behind what you're going to reason. So that's really a benefit beyond the computer aspect of it. It's an, a, a benefit for the rest of your life. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And it has a lot of crossover with, with laws you mentioned, with music, right, and the structure behind music. And so, you know, what's cool is we can look a parent in the eye and say, hey, yes, they will learn, you know, the fundamentals of computer science and coding from our product. But more importantly, they're going to gain logical thinking skills that will benefit them no matter what they do. Now, tell me a little bit about the product itself. So yep. I've seen on your website it comes in the form of, of an app. You've got other ways to access it. But tell me about the product and how you go and get involved in it. Yeah, so there's a few key things that for me were really important to do from the beginning. Um, one, I mentioned we don't use any words in the app. So um, other than the title screen where it says the foos, uh, we do everything with icons and animation. So for example, our walk command is a little character walking. Our jump command is a little character jumping. And kids intuitively know right away what they're looking at. The other thing that's interesting about like kids versus adults <laughs> is uh, kids are 100% willing to explore. Adults kind of want to be told what to do, and right. so they're not actually as good at the game as kids are. <laughs> um, but it works, right? And so, so we start – and the game is highly scaffolded. And so what I mean by that is like the very first puzzle that you do, there's really no way to fail. Like everyone gets it right. <laughs> um, and, and we stay really easy for the first like eight to 10 puzzles. And there's two reasons we do that. One is we're teaching you kind of how to play, how to use our word-free interface, that there's multiple characters, et cetera. We're just getting you used to the environment. The other one is we're building confidence, right? And so when you're dealing with kids as young as five or six, it's what their internal narrative about whether they're good at this thing or not is, um, is hugely important in terms of whether they'll persist when it gets harder. And so what we're trying to do is create an experience where in the first four or five levels, the kid saying to him, you know, himself or herself, oh, I'm really good at this, right? And then as it gets increasingly difficult, they stick with it and figure it out because they already think they're good. So we're building confidence in the process as much as anything. And then in terms of the overall learning, we start with puzzles and you know we scaffold it super carefully. You make your way through those puzzles. As you do, you unlock new sections of the game. And in those new sections, you can actually put the ideas that you've mastered to use and do things like make your own video game levels. Um, so we have a section of the game called Foo Studio where you can go in and, and make Mario-style platform games. And just like with the puzzles, we scaffold you into that as well. So we teach you how everything works, and we teach you, and we kind of try to inspire you in terms of what to make, and then, and then we finally let you go for it. Um, but those are the two big elements of the game right now. And what, what age group are we talking about here? Yeah, we optimize for five to eight. So we do all of our user testing both in home environments and school environments with kids in that age bracket. And what we found and what was kind of an unexpected but pleasant surprise is that when we get it for, right for the five or six-year-olds, it works really well for pretty much everyone, including older kids. Like we have a fair amount of use at the middle school level, uh, which is unexpected. 
Um, but we've taken all the sharp edges off something traditionally a little scary, which is computer science. Now, at the conclusion of the, the program itself, what is, is reasonable for a parent to expect a kid to be able to do with computer science? Yeah, so what if, if a kid plays every puzzle and spend some time building in Foo Studio, they will have learned like six or seven uh, really fundamental concepts that will prepare them for either going into a more sophisticated word-free environment or like low word environment like Scratch or will help them like let's say they went the next step and they're really into it and they want to go learn JavaScript or Python when they see a loop or they see a conditional statement, they would understand why that's there and how it works behind the scenes and why they might want to use it in their code. So it's all at a conceptual basis, but it's the foundation for learning anything further if they stick with computer science. That's great. It's really great. And what kind of feedback have you been receiving from, from parents and, and you know, the kids that have been using it? Yeah, so we're super fortunate. I mean, one of the things you mentioned is that we've taken an approach that's half entertainment, half learning. And and our belief is that we have to win the child's attention to get the opportunity to teach, right? And so because we're really the, the most engaging resource in the space, we've been getting awesome reviews. Um, Ginny Goodmanson is the lead kids tech reviewer for USA Today. Just a few weeks ago, she talk, called us the number one way to introduce young kids to code. And what's meaningful about that is she's reviewed every other product in the space. Um, you know, we have a great rating on uh, iOS and Android um, we've won now something like six or seven of the top kids in tech awards, things like Parent Choice Gold Award and Children's Technology Review Editor's Choice. So, so, so far we've been super fortunate to receive a, a bunch of like industry and pundit accolades. Oh, that's absolutely great. Now, what's interesting to me is that from the business end of it, you don't seem to be a super large company as far as how many employees <laughs> you have. So talk a little bit about your structure of your company. Yeah, so it started out with just Joe and I full time. We and I, if if it's interesting to your audience, I can talk a little bit about like fundraising along the way and and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we raised what I would call a pre-seed round, and Joe and I um, hammered out the specs for what I would call a, an MVP product, a minimum viable product, and we launched that last November, and we were. The big win for that period of time was becoming part of uh, Hour of Code, which is like our Christmas. It's an event during the second week of December where millions of kids around the world try coding for the first time. Um, so that was how we got started. And, and we did you know, leverage contractors pretty heavily. So we had a little bit of programming help, although Joe is a, a gifted developer. We had a lot of art and music help. Um, and some other help along the way. So we started out very lean. And then uh, based on the success of that initial product, we were able to get uh, Caper Capital on board as the lead for our seed round. And Mitch Caper was the founder of Lotus um, and is a very active uh, investor, in particular in the education space. So perfect fit for us. Um, and then in that round we raised 1.35 million and that allowed us to build a small but 
high-powered team. So we're seven currently. Um, and we will stay this size until we do our next round of funding. So I think what is good to learn uh, as far as the way you did it is you, you kind of did a beta test round of investment and product development before you just threw everything in. And that I, I find is a common mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs don't really understand. They'll go all in because that's what they're taught to do. Go all in, right? And then when something's not working or being well-received, they don't pull back and say, well, maybe I need to tweak this a bit. They keep hammering forward with the same thing that's not working. Yeah. So is that your yeah. intention to you, test it out? You, you just – you really – especially when it's a consumer product, but really no matter what it is, you, you really have to put the product in front of your user as much as possible. And so one thing that I talk a lot about – and people are sometimes surprised by this, but I think it's really how products should be developed these days. We test – with kids in our age group every week. So, and you know, if you think about that, that is a huge commitment because it's not easy to gather and organize seven year olds, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, there's legal things, you have to have parent permission. There's, you know, just, you know, getting their attention can be difficult. But um, we believe it's so fundamental to building the right product that we put in the, the effort to do that. And um, and you're absolutely right. Like we had this idea that we had done some paper prototyping around, and and we were pretty confident that we were on the right track. But um, we we really didn't have the confidence that we were ready for like a big seed round. We wanted to get something out into the market and see how it was received, and you know it, that ended up being the perfect way to go. And and I think. If, if the prototype hadn't been successful, we still would have been super happy we did that because we would have saved ourselves a ton of time and energy, right? Um, that's one thing that gets lost on the entrepreneur journey is that the opportunity cost of persisting with something that's pushing you in the wrong direction is super high. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about yourself. You mentioned that Joe had worked for other companies, including Disney. But, I mean, you're basically an entrepreneur. You have built other digital businesses. When you started this company, I mean, were you at a point where you had to make a decision and say, do I commit to this full time or do I take income from somewhere else? What was your status at the time you decided to move forward with the, with the company? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I have been working, you know, with and for – uh, mainly entrepreneurial companies since 1999. And, but I had not been a founder. I've been very early on at, at some teams that were successful, but I was not, not a founder. So um, this was a new role for me. And there were a couple of reasons that made it difficult to take the plunge. Um, one is I'm, I'm later in my career. I can't work out of my mom's basement. I've got three kids and a mortgage and an expensive community. Right. Um, so there's just like a certain amount of income that I have to have in order to not have things fall apart. So that was a challenge, number one. And then number two, the job I had immediately prior to this was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had, actually, which was I was working for a guy named Bill Gross, who's the founder of Idea Lab, And I was vetting early stage um, like startup concepts for him. And it was very fun. And, and I, you know, I, I got paid reasonably well and it was really enjoyable and Bill's a, a great guy and a brilliant mind. So I had to leave this, you know, more sure thing that was great behind. 
Um, and I had to figure out how to make ends meet for a while while I was going through the seed funding stage. So at the end of the day for me, it was just something that I had to do. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do it. And I just, I spent time, you know, getting my family on board with me. And ultimately, you know, they were super supportive. Um, but for the first year, I actually did have one advisory job on the side um, that didn't pay a lot, but it made the difference between what I could afford to pay myself out of CodeSpark and what I needed to, you know, not get kicked out of my house. Right. So, um, and that was something I was real open with my co-founder about, you know, and, and he kind of had one side project as well that was a, a minor but important side project. And that was the way we muddled through the first, you know, 12, 15 months. Or you talked a lot about, you know, the accolades that, that you've received. And, and that is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with because they don't know how to go and get their product or their service into the digital market space where people are actually writing about them or commenting. I mean, you mentioned the fact that USA Today commented and, and wrote about CodeSpark. What was your strategy and what could you suggest to entrepreneurs? How could they go about getting people aware of their product and writing about it? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, most of us can't afford real PR teams and so forth. Um, so the first thing is it's it's all about relationships. The USA Today piece um, happened a year and a half after I originally met Ginny. And, and if you know Ginny, she, she doesn't do anything on anybody else's timeline. She does things when she's interested in doing it. But um, I, you know, just very politely stayed in contact with her uh, for a long time. Eventually she decided she was uh, going to write about coding and, and it worked out. I think that is obviously something that you have to work on uh, kind of on the side and, and hope for the best. But there are certain awards, depending on what you're doing, where really the only thing stopping you from getting recognition is um, taking the time to fill out the application and, and paying the application fee. And, and a lot of them are just noise, but some of those are well-respected enough, like the Parents' Choice Award, where they really give you a meaningful lift in terms of you know uh, whether parents can trust you or not, um, some PR on the back end of it. Um, it just helps legitimize you. And so I think the key thing about PR is don't don't think that there's any one lever that you're going to pull that's going to make you know make or break you. It's really like pulling a thousand levers and having a consistent effort um, that makes a difference. The other thing is you have to be very targeted. So um, you know we spent considerable amount of time recognizing. Um, recognizing journalists who would be interested in writing about what we were doing, learning about their background and what they tended to write about, and then reaching out to them. And it, it just it takes time and effort. There's no easy way to solve it, but I can tell you it only happens with persistent effort. And, and what you just said right now I think is a major mistake that people often do, which is they think they can send out an email blast to a whole bunch of bloggers or uh, you know, news news people and and hope that it's going to get picked up. But you said you took the time to actually look to see is this somebody that would be interested in writing about us, and then you developed the relationship. It wasn't just here, write about this. No, that's absolutely right. And typically, um, I would say eighty ninety percent of the time, 
people do not write about you at, at the first contact. You know, sometimes you get lucky and they just happen to be interested in what you're doing, but mostly, you know, that's not the way it works. Mostly, you, you know, and, and they, of course, they're human beings. If you've taken the time to understand what they're interested in, they appreciate that. That gives you a little better chance of, you know, having something happen in the future. But mostly it's you're trying to create a relationship where you're seen as a, as a, as a reasonable and interesting, you know, person in a space that they're focused on. And so that when they do have a story that um, fits you, they call you up and get a quote or talk to you or, or, you know, whatever develops. Now, you're a small team. And, you know, at the beginning of this project, I'm sure you're working primarily on the build of the app and the game itself. How do you find the time and how do you uh, sort of um, work in that PR? How do you do that? Yeah, um, so it's challenging. I mean, you just have to to value it. And I wouldn't, you know, I think PR in particular for a new company is important because if you're a consumer product, you you just have to become part of the conversation. And so, you know, getting a uh, customer awareness is a big deal. Um, one thing, you know, we went elephant hunting first. <laughs> and that's something I always recommend. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, code.org for us, the, the folks who organize Hour of Code each year, uh, is, you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the teach kids to code space in the United States. They're a nonprofit. Um, they have tremendous reach because they're very well run and, and they've done a great job of building relationships with other nonprofits and, and organizations who support the idea of teaching kids to code. So we focused you know, 70% of our energy on connecting with them and then 30% on traditional journalism. And that worked for us. I, you know, it's kind of a winner-take-all strategy, but I do think, to your point, entrepreneurs can only make so many bets at once, especially when the team is tiny. And so finding, you know, a connection that has high value for you and then just really working hard to become someone that they want to do business with, you know, generally pays more than um, talking to every small newspaper around the country, for example. Right. And I talk on the show often about the idea of having, you know, the approach like a sniper versus a shotgun where mm -hmm. you're focusing in on one particular area instead of just throwing everything up against the wall. And it sounds like that's what you did. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And we did it both on like kind of, it was a combination of, of PR and distribution for us because by becoming a code.org partner, we were then listed on their site, which generates tons of traffic. Um, and you know, every in industry has their own code.org, right? <laughs> they have, they have influencers and they have big companies that are promoting products. And so you just have to go track those down. Well, that's great advice. Now, um, one final thing I want to talk about is your team. Yeah. Obviously, your team is extremely important. And, you know, especially in the software development market, everyone says the team or if you're, uh, you know, interior designers or you're graphic designers, the team is so important. And there's so many entrepreneurs out there that say, no, it's just me. What's <laughs> your take on team? How important is it? Oh, yeah. There's no company without the team. I mean, um, you know, I think I can take some pride in, a, in an original idea, but all of the execution has, you know, been 
by the team and and Joe, my co-founder, has taken my original seed of an idea and made it a hundred times better. Um, so there's no question. And the thing is, in particular, what you want, I think, when you're small, is to borrow a sports analogy, like multi-tool athletes. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's what we look for, anyways. So, like, our game designer can also code, and our um, 3D animator is also a really gifted 2D artist who can do concept art. Um, you know, our developer is someone who is kind of obsessed <laughs> with games and collects board games. So we have um, this group of people that they aren't just one thing. And, you know, that's true of people in general. But we really look for people who enjoy giving feedback and who enjoy working on a lot of different things. Uh, things so that they bring you know that much more horsepower to the group. Right now, in uh, you know, in wrapping up here, if you had to give one piece of advice to somebody who was an entrepreneur or starting out, and and not the old work hard speech, what would that piece of advice be? Um, I think the biggest thing that I see, you know, first time entrepreneurs making a mistake around is protecting their idea too carefully. Um, It turns out in the world, ideas are not that precious, but execution is. And so I would worry much more about finding people who will support your idea, whether that's investors or teammates, uh, than I would about someone stealing your idea. And so, you know, I told hundreds of people my idea for CodeSpark. Not one person built a competitor. You know, um, you have to have motivation and time and, 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 uh, and support to execute. So, uh, I think entrepreneurs get caught up thinking that their idea is super special and it might be, but the reality is no one's going to steal it because no one has time. So just, you know, get out, talk to, and then the other one is just go talk to people who've done it before. That's the number one way that you will accelerate the growth of your company is to, um, find people who've been successful in the space that you're trying to go into and to just interviewing them. Ask them good questions, listen carefully, and then, you know, learn from them. Yeah, and the listening carefully is often overlooked. A lot of people yep. ask questions, but they don't really listen. So it's great advice. Uh, now, Grant, if people want to get in touch with you directly or they want to learn more about CodeSpark, um, where would they get in and how it's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, so we have you know a general email info at codespark.org that goes to me, um, and I you know respond to everybody who who ha- you know sends us a note. Uh, we're a small company, and we're happy to talk to people who are interested in what we're doing. So, like I say, info info at codespark.org. Um, send us a note, and we'd be happy to chat. And if people are interested in downloading the app, that's available both for iOS and Android, correct? Yeah, it's actually, so if you go to thefoos.com, that's the easiest place to find all the links for the game. And it's actually available on iOS, phone and tablet, Android, phone and tablet, Kindle Fire, uh, and the web. Great. And uh, and just spell the foos for everybody, if you would. Yeah, sure. It's, <laughs> you know, the, and then F-O-O-S. And check it out. It's 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 free to download. Is that right? Yeah, it's free to download. There's no you know in app purchases. Um, just 
full disclosure, eventually in the spring, there will be an additional subscription op option, but that will be above and beyond everything that's free right now. So, um, yeah, it's easy to download. And uh, if you have a kid who's five or older, you know, I can pretty much guarantee they'll have fun playing it. Grant, thank you so much for being on today. You gave a lot of great advice, and I wish you continued success with CodeSpark. Peter, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to be on the show. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Grant. Okay. Bye-bye. So I want to thank Grant for being on. I think he gave some great advice. Uh, in particular, you know, the question that I ask of all of our guests, you know, what's that one piece of advice that you'd give to other entrepreneurs? His was one that we've never heard before, which is, don't protect your idea so much that you don't share it with enough people to get the help that you need to develop it. And uh, that was a very unique comment, something that we've not heard before. But it makes a lot of sense, and it is something that I think if you're looking to develop a team, an idea, you've got to get it out there. You've got to get people interested in it. You've got to get that buzz going about what you're doing. And oftentimes, I think that we as entrepreneurs try to protect it so much. Look, you want to protect it? That's what intellectual property laws are there for. But don't hide it away somewhere where nobody's going to see it because then you're not going to get any publicity or PR off of it. And then you're going to be wondering why nobody's going to your app or going to your site. So I think that was great advice. Also, um, like we talk about all the time, it's that sniper focus, that laser beam focus, as opposed to the scattershot shotgun approach where, you know, things are going, pellets are going everywhere. And they're not really hitting their mark. They're just going all over the place, and you're hoping that something hits. Whereas when, when Grant was talking about, you know, focusing on the organizations, the contacts that are going to bring you the most amount of benefit, it was a sniper's approach. It was that laser beam, let's focus in on that group, that person, that contact that can do the most for us that we can work with together. And I think that's a, an absolutely great approach. So I, here's what I, I want you to do. I encourage you to go check out, you know, the, the, the game and check out the site that's codespark.org. Um, I've looked at it. It's amazing. It, it's fun. It's amazing. And so I encourage you, especially if you have kids, but even if you don't just go check it out. Um, but it's, it's a really great, app and it's a great great concept i love the idea of the gaming with the education taking on a topic that we all take for granted which is computer science so uh, i think a, a job well done and we will be talking to grant hopefully in the spring uh, and we'll catch up with him and see what codespark.org is doing and, and how well uh, some of the new things that they're going to be rolling out in the spring work we're very excited so uh, stay tuned for that and uh, he'll be on again. Now, I want to thank you, the utlradio.com uh, family, for listening to this show, for sending in your comments, uh, all of your feedback. It's so important. It really helps me stay focused on bringing you the best topics, whether they're business or legal related, and answering those questions and getting you that information that you want. And I really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank all of you who have subscribed to this podcast on iTunes and remind you all to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well because the video content is different than the podcast content. So check that out. And if you want one central place to go for everything, 
then head on over to utlradio.com. It's all there, including a link to the top 10 uh, legal writing tips for non-lawyers. It's a free download uh, as far, <clears throat> excuse me, as well as our links to social media. If you want to contact me via email, it's info at utlradio.com. And if you want to ask your business or legal question, you can do so directly through the website, directly from your computer using the SpeakPipe widget. So uh, I want to thank you, and I'll continue to answer your questions. You continue to send them to me. And uh, I want to thank you again for being a fan of utlradio.com. Now, don't forget to share this information with your friends, family, and colleagues, and let them know about utlradio.com, your business success, and legal information station. I'll see you next time. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.